Welcome back to the Everybody Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Reno. This week, we're talking with a goalkeeper from the USL club named After Me, Reno1868 FC. Kyle Ein is a first-year pro at Reno who plays college ball with Green Bay, finishing back in 2016. Uh, I asked Kyle about his gap year, and he sets the record straight. That he wasn't just sitting around waiting for someone to call his name, but that he traveled up and down the country taking every opportunity that fell in his lap. Uh, this is a really great example of someone having immense determination not just giving up because certain things didn't go his way, but also the difficult reality of making the jump to the pro game. Uh, later on in the podcast, Kyle gives his take on where things are going well in American goalkeeper development and where, thing, where, where things still need improvement. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see. Well, yeah, <laughs> definitely some perks, but I'm sure like the cleaning staff is like wringing their hair at some points of just like, what is, what is this? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, good, good. Well, um, let's go ahead and jump into it. Um, and you, your journey to Reno is kind of, I guess, a little more unique because you, you almost have like a gap year when you come out of Green Bay. So, um, of course, you, you finished up at Green Bay um, and you go through this really long process of trying to find a team. And I feel like after that first year, when, it, when like a goalkeeper specifically, I guess, but all players, when they don't find a team, they're just kind of like, well, okay, I gave it a shot, move on. Uh, but you kept at it. You kept at it. Uh, you trained with Minnesota. Uh, you got some PDL games in, in there. So, kind of walk us back through that journey, and you know what worked in that process. What in, what got you that that contract with Reno? Um, and, and was there anything that you felt like you kind of wasted time? Like, oh, I tried this, but it ended up not being anything. Um. Yeah. So. That was ages ago. You have to you have to really think back. That was ages ago now. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so my journey, I wouldn't really even say that I had like a gap year. So I tried finding a team um, after my senior, the fall of my senior year, and I couldn't. um, So I just finished out school. I graduated, and then um, I played another year of PDL. Under your good friend uh, John Pascarella. That's right. That's who right. I, <laughs> who I rate very, very highly. Probably my favorite coach that I've ever played for. Um, he. I've only he I've only heard great. good things about him. So I, you know, I. I look I'm sorry. For, I've only I've only heard good things about him. So I, I look forward to whenever we cross over. <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, maybe I'm gonna help help instigate that meeting. At yeah, some point. maybe so. Maybe but, He he was he's still been a great um, great coach, great mentor for me. Sort of just giving me experience into the professional game. Um, so I played for him in Des Moines, and then even once, uh, even throughout the the Des Moines season, I was still getting some professional looks. Uh, I went and trained for a week in Columbus with Pat Onset. Mm-hmm. Um, PDL season, and then even after the PDL season ended, I pretty much went. I went to camp shutout, and then I got a call once again from you know Coach Pascarella, and he asked if I wanted to go down and train the slope for a week. So I went. I did that. I got another taste of a professional environment, um, and then I just basically kept myself sharp. Um, I actually moved back to Green Bay 
you say that is and maybe this is thinking too big but i wonder if there's like 
if that comes out on your play style as well. So like if there's a if there's a keeper who's always willing to kind of jump through open doors, I'm kind of always curious of like having that hunger. I wonder if it translates to the field because I feel like Tim Lee is like the prime prospect or prime picture of that of the dude was just like grinding for the longest. And I feel like it kind of comes out in the field and you wait the way you watch him play. You know, it's very, it's almost like the sprawling kind of technique to it. So would you say, is that uh, maybe a little bit too big, too big picture there, but would you say it comes out in the field as far as your personality that's been hopping through those doors is whenever they opened up? Honestly, I think it does. I think you can see it in, um, in really every position, not only just goalkeeping. I know, I know there are some amazing college players that I played with, um, but they would get into situations where they would be invited and they might not be, you know, they would go to this combine and they might not be staying in the best hotel room and they just drove eight hours to this combine and everything like that. And next thing you know, they're not super comfortable with all the guys that they're playing with mm. and they don't have a great showing. But yeah. I feel like I'm going to throw myself in just because I believe that I have that type of mentality where if you're just so hungry for an opportunity at the next level, you know, you're going to make sacrifices and you're going to be used to making sacrifices. So you're going to be used to, you know, going and just being so eager to play, especially for me having, basically having somewhat like you call that gap year where I was just hungry for opportunities to get on the field in that professional environment that, you know, I just was going to do pretty much whatever it took. Yeah, yeah. What, and what, you talked a little bit about that, I guess, retirement thought in your head of moving on from the game. What, t- talk a little bit more about that dialogue that you were having with yourself of what were the incentives to, to leave, to stay, uh, and what was, like, the ultimate final, like, driving force for you to keep trying? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think I think when you go through a period where you don't have a team as a professional athlete, that thought has to come up. At least for me, it has to. Just because, you know, if you're not, if you don't have a team, my, my biggest fear as a professional athlete is remaining stagnant or hitting my ceiling. Yeah. So there were so many times where I would come back and I would, I would come back from a combine or a trial or something like that and I would get turned down and I would just be sitting there thinking, have I reached my ceiling? Is this it? Is, you know, is this it for me? And if it, if it is, I don't want to waste more time pursuing something where I've already hit my ceiling and I've already, I've already maxed out. Um, so my, the driving force is really, um, were pretty much just motivation, whether I still felt like I could I could better myself. Um, but also it's just you get you get sick of playing the game for so long and just constantly be, being told no. It's yeah. discouraging. Yeah. You just keep you keep putting yourself out there just to be shot down. Eventually you start thinking, you know, are these people seeing something that I'm not seeing, yeah. you know? Um, and also financially, it's another factor. It's the thing that people don't tell you about 
going to all of these USL trials and everything like that is you're paying for your own travel, your own hotel, your own food, um, and it gets expensive. Yeah. What do you What do you think you would have been um, doing if you hadn't signed with Reno this time? Like you know, a year. Let's say August 2018. If you hadn't signed with Reno, do you think you would have moved on or? In U.S. soccer, I think I would have given it another year. I was actually slated to go play PDL in for the Des Moines Menace again, right. uh, which I played in 2017. Um, but just with the, the landscape of everything, with the amount of teams and the new league coming next year, I would have I would have definitely kicked myself if I would have called it quits. And then all of these opportunities arose. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair so when you talk to players that have made that jump from college to pro, there's usually something about uh, the the speed of play. Um, can you dive into a little bit for for listeners of because yeah, it, it's not just a kicking the ball harder, right? There's, there's a whole lot to it. So when you're making that jump from college to pro, what what are some main differences uh, that you notice as far as oh I can't just be an, a college senior now I've got to kind of bump my game up a little bit. Honestly, I think the speed of play is a big thing, but I also think the the cleanliness of your game. Mm. Um, I think actually going from playing PDL and jumping around and then going back and training in college with a college team and then going to a professional on MLS preseason, I think it's really helped me. And then going back, not going back down, but then going to a USL team. But the cleanliness of my game really improved when I went to Minnesota just because you're in a small sided game, you have the speed of play is going faster, but people are anticipating, you get the ball back at your feet, people are anticipating you opening up and trying to switch the field. So where in college you might be able to, you know, take a touch on the ball, stop the ball, push it out to the opposite side, and then play it, when you get to the USL level, you need your first touch needs to put you in a position to play to the opposite side. And then when you get to the MLS level, that type of a pass is something where you're going to be expected to play the first time, where you're going to be expected to swing the ball without taking any other touches, and that ball better be on your defender's front foot. Otherwise, you're putting it in a bad situation going forward. Um, Also, People, people, people expect rebounds at every single level. But at the MLS, if you at the MLS level, even in training, if you spill a ball, you're going to be punished for it. At the USL level, if you don't put a ball out for, you know, you put the ball out for a corner kick instead of a throw-in, your teammates are letting you know you should have been, you should do better. If you come out and you punch across and there's relatively little pressure on you, your teammates are letting you know you need to catch that. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a change of possession that doesn't need to happen necessarily. Yeah. No, I, I was watching with um, highlights from the weekend, and I saw uh, Petr Cech made a, a really nice kind of extension save on a, uh, I think it was from a free kick, but it was kind of low 90, but he ended up spilling it a little bit, and he had made this amazing save, but he puts the rebound like, you know, just at that kind of awkward spot where it's like a yard or two away from you, so you can't just jump on it, but it's still there. 
and um, you know someone jumps on it and he makes another good save and but then like hearing that critique there like well you know he spilled that ball I feel like that's something that kind of gets glossed over a lot of times like yeah he made an amazing save but if you're just making an amazing save and giving them the ball back you know like what, what are you doing for your team so um, I feel like I can see that really at every level there's just always that kind of talk about that cleanliness between it gets cleaner I guess the higher you get up which I guess he you talked about you went you went up to Minnesota and came back down, so you kind of cheated a little bit there. But I uh, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you, you've you've jumped around, and I guess you made your you made your career kind of sound like a um, John Pascarella like tribute almost. So how many times he kind of helped you out? Um, so, but you, you've seen a lot of goalkeeping that besides him, you know, you've you've been a lot of different places uh, with college combines, PDL. Uh, tryouts, Reno, Minnesota, um, and we're, we're kind of in a weird spot with goalkeeping for the country as a whole. Uh, it seems very fractured in a lot of sense of everyone just do your own thing and we'll see if it works out or not. So as someone who's been around a, you know, a number of different places now, uh, what, what's working as far as the development side and what's not working? Yeah, I, definitely, and I, I wonder, 
Well, one, talking about possession and playing on the back, I mean, that's such a team-oriented thing. So I think there's this kind of this idea of like, oh, can he strike a ball accurately? It's like, well, like Ederson knows exactly where everyone on the field is always and what how they're moving. So it's like to try to copy, you know, Manchester City at, for your, you know, your youth team is a little ridiculous in some sense. But, um, but yeah, you know, I there's like a there's a high priority of keeping the ball out of the net. And there's another good priority of completing a pass. But, like, <laughs> there's always... I mean, there's a reason why there are good goalkeepers who, like, distribution is okay. But you won't see any goalkeepers very high that are, are okay at stopping the ball but have great distribution. So, it is it is a little funny. And maybe it's all kind of like fads in time of, well, th this is really big on the internet or this is really big in circles. So, uh, we'll, we'll focus on this. So, I guess that's kind of our thing right now. But... It, it is a little odd as, as far as, like, the extreme uh, focus on distribution. I'll say that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, no. I'm trying to think of any sort of other, other things where we're going right or wrong. I think one thing that has definitely helped a lot is I feel like in this day and age, kids who don't necessarily have goalkeeper coaches are getting more and more access to um, activities that they can do or, you know, training trainings that they could um, implement and things of that nature just with social media. Yeah. Um, the amount of Instagram pages and Twitter pages and everything like that um, you know, just showing different things, I think it's good and bad at the same time. Because I've seen some, it's it's good that we're giving people who don't have that resource, that resource, but at the same time, I think that people that don't know better are sort of seeing that yeah. and thinking that that's the only way. Yeah. You know? Have you, have you ever heard someone kind of, uh, talk about the difference between a goalkeeper coach and a goalkeeper trainer. I don't, that it always, that was like one of my first things I heard of, of like someone with like viewing themselves as a goalkeeper coach and viewing uh, coaches that were doing a poor job as trainers. And they, so it was kind of an ego thing to it of like, well, I'm a goalkeeper coach, so I'm going to train you right. But there are goalkeeper trainers out there who are just going to strike a ball at you, you know, and that's it. And so they're, they're going to, let issues crop up. They're not going to be able to notice, notice it. So, um, but yeah, I, it, the, like the information a aspect of it, of how accessible it is, you know, I was talking to, I think it was Kevin Hartman, but he was talking about how he had like one camp he would go to every year. And that was like his one week he heard about goalkeeping at all. And so he was like taking the pen and paper writing down everything and had that like clear hunger and desire to it. But when there's so much information everywhere, it can kind of end up being like, well, e like either information overload or because it's so accessible, it's almost viewed as like, un like not as interesting or not as engaging. And so you kind of lose that hunger aspect to it. Um, but yeah, so there's definitely, definitely pros and cons with like the expanding field, but yeah, <laughs> there seem to be a few, few cons in there. So yeah. Well, we'll talk a little bit about John Pascarell because 
I mean, you mentioned him a number of times there. So what what is something that he does that you, you think, oh, yeah, this guy this guy gets it. He's doing it right. Um, I think one of my favorite things about, about him as a coach, um, and this isn't necessarily goalkeeper specific because he did this as a head coach in Des Moines. He did this. He does this during Minnesota's goalkeeper sessions. He does it with everything. Um, he, I feel like the the overall attitude in training sessions gets so almost negative. It's so serious and it's so. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like especially in a professional environment, everybody is expecting. Yeah. You know, they're expecting perfection. They want such a high standard. Almost like the stakes are so high, but he, he he was constantly telling us, you know, in Minnesota, just relax, you know, just go out, have fun. I went in in a in one of the preseason friendlies against Orlando, and he told me he's like, just relax, just have fun. We're all playing the game because we love the game. As soon as we don't love the game anymore, we shouldn't be playing. Yeah. So you know. Like ha- having fun is the the one of the rudimentary ideas of soccer. It's a game. It's meant to be enjoyable, and that's one thing that I I really try doing every single day, just because of him. Like I think about it, and I as I'm getting frustrated, and I just tell myself, relax. You're not having fun anymore. Um, as far as the goalkeeping, as as far as the specific goalkeeping side of it. I feel like he he has been around the game for so long. He's seen it evolve, and I think one thing that he really, really gets is he's sort of kept he's kept a lot of the traditional things while still implementing the new techniques and new styles of play that have come out. Mm. Where he's constantly working with guys, he's constantly you know, critiquing guys saying, hey, like, even with, you know, Bobby Shulworth, I went there and he was working on Bobby's technique. Like, Bobby's a veteran. You would think, you would think that a veteran would be set in stone, but so many goalkeepers across the league have so much respect for him mm. that when he talks, they listen. Um, so I think that's, that's definitely something um, that was very, very, interesting for me to uh, to just observe him coaching and it's also just sort of um, you know it's sort of his coaching style where you see all going back to the what we were previously talking about seeing all of the all of the videos on social media and all of the gadgets that people are using but he keeps everything very very simple he keeps everything you know you don't need 15 dummies, 20 poles, and half a dozen cones for a good session. Yeah. No, yeah. That's, um, yeah, I, I do feel like it, it almost gets, you know, it's cool seeing videos of guys doing, you know, 15 different tasks at once. But then you kind of think of like, well, are they really are they getting anything out of this? You know, like it's a cool video they made, but there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that I just I think that he keeps everything extremely simple he sort of isolates 
different areas in training. So, and you can, um, so that we can work on it, so that every single activity, you can tell what the focus is. You can tell, okay, you know, this is all about working, finding the angle of getting my feet, getting my feet set. This is all about, you know, seeing the shot off of, off of uh, the attacker's foot. Mm. This is all about reading the flight of the ball as it's coming in. Um, and that's one thing that I think that more goalkeeper coaches should do is they make everything so complex when realistically goalkeeping is simple. You know? Yeah. All right. Well, last question, and keep it simple like you just said. <laughs> or go into length if you want. Uh, <laughs> top hand or bottom hand? What kind of guy are you? What kind of guy I am? Yeah, top hand or bottom hand save. Where, where do you where do you line up on that? I'm I'm confused by the question. Oh, like sorry, that's I threw you too much of a curveball. Uh, top hand save, like I I got into like a little bit of a talk with Stan about this, so that's kind of why I'm talking to you also. But top hand save, like if there's a shot high, like using your top hand for it. So if it's to your left, like your right hand save, or do you go from bottom? So if it's a shot to your left, do you use your left or okay. right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Am I a top hand or a bottom hand guy? I see the question. There you go. Yes. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that was a little left field there. Um, I have trained both techniques. I have head coaches that have been telling me you should specifically use your top hand. You. I've had coaches telling me you should specifically be using your bottom hand. Um, honestly, I feel like I'm at the point in my career where as soon as the shot, as soon as I see the shot off of the forward's foot and I see it flying through the air, I'm my instincts take over and sometimes I'll use my top hand, sometimes I'll use my bottom hand. It all just kind of depends on the shot for me and a lot of different things. Um, the flight of the shot, whether it's curled, whether it's dipping, whether they just put their laces through it, um, the angle of it, the amount of time that I have to react to the shot. Um, so even though you were asking for a simple answer, I, uh, <laughs> it's a very, very complex answer. For it me. is, it is. It's really good. It means you've been thinking about it or you have thought about it. So. <laughs>